ABC Radio. You're listening to Nightlife. Nightlife with Philip Clark. Joining us uh, for our Nightlife News Breakdown is Amy Ramikas, The Guardian's uh, Australia's political reporter. Amy, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening. Thrilled to be here. Yes, great to have you with us too. The Prime Minister, Mr Anthony Albanese, was at the press club today, first address of the year. These are always kind of set pieces, these things, aren't they? Uh, He promised Mm. he'll keep us safe, Amy. How's he going to do that? He he did. Uh, He's going to do that by defending our nation and deterring potential aggressors. But basically, it was just laying the groundwork for AUKUS. Uh, We're going to have a report coming soon on the agreement that we have with the UK and the US. It's going to map out a little bit more of what that looks like. And so this was just about like, hey, we're moving into a new defence strategic position. It's going to be through this AUKUS agreement and this is what's going to keep us safe. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Or well, Even though the Defence Review has not been released, everyone in Canberra seems to have an opinion about it. Indeed, all the national, <laughs> national opinion writers all seem to have an opinion about the Defence Review, said to be the most important document the government's received on defence for decades, and yet we don't have the, we don't have the review. No one's no, released it. No, no one's released it, and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about something they haven't particularly seen yet, which, you know, is the Canberra story. We all tend to just, you know, talk about things that we actually haven't seen the nitty-gritty detail of uh, and are relying on what our sources are telling us is correct. But essentially, the government's been making the argument for AUKUS, you know, uh, since it came to power. It hasn't deviated from what the former government set up. And this strategic review is pretty much going to say, hey, we need an agreement quite like AUKUS and we need some submarines. And the government's going to go, oh, lo behold, guess what? We've got an agreement like AUKUS and we're also working on getting some submarines. That's right. I know. That, that's right. This all seems, it all seems rather lame, really, doesn't it? I mean, in, in the sense that if you, you you decide what you want to do, then you commission a report to justify what you're doing, and then release the report saying, "Ah, now we have a report that says we should be doing what we've already decided to do." Yeah, I think you might have just cracked it, Phil. Mm. I'm pretty sure that is the that is the MO and it is something governments have done from the beginning of time. We need to do this. We're going to commission a report with the parameters that we set. It's going to tell us what we want to know and then we're going to go forth and do it and say, hey, this is what the report says. Mm. Did the Prime Minister give any indication of what he thinks the change defence posture of Australia should be in the sense that... Are we supposed to be going to war with people, simply defending our own patch, uh, saying yes when America asks us? What, what, what is Australia's role? I think a lot of Australians would like to know this. Yeah, I think a lot of Australians would, and it's an interesting question. Nobody's wishing for war, but we also know that we live in very uncertain times and we're in a pretty uncertain part of the world too. Our region isn't exactly, you know, diplomatically stable, let's put it that way. Uh, And the US is worried about China's expansion uh, in the South China Sea and Taiwan in particular, and, you know, this is our part of the world. So it's basically getting us ready just in case something happens. So it's about saying, yes, we need to protect our patch. We need to protect our own sovereign interests. But it's also about saying, oh, like if we're looking down the track, it doesn't look like everyone's always going to play nice uh, and we need to prepare for, you know, if and when that happens. The interesting question, though, is with these submarines, we don't have the agreement yet 
and it's a techno technological sharing agreement. Basically, the US and the UK are going to give us the, you know, the technicalities to have nuclear submarines. We don't have the question, though, about whether we retain the technical sovereignty if, uh, you know, we decide to do something that the US doesn't or, or vice versa. So that's one of the main questions. Yes, we've got sovereignty over the program. Yes, we make our own decisions about what we do and don't enter in terms of conflict. But what does that mean for the actual technology? Do we actually control it ourselves? And that's one of the questions Malcolm Turnbull's been asking. It's one of the questions that the government's saying don't worry about, but uh, there's a lot of chatter about it. Well, it's know? a key question. We should have control over our technology. It's a key question, isn't it? In other words, does Australia actually have any independent stance in any of this, or is the AUKUS agreement simply binding us even more tightly to global decisions that are made by by the by the UK and the United States, which all have very different security concerns than Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And and while we might make the decisions about what we do with, you know, our particular, you know, armed forces or our strategic positions, if we're relying on another nation for a technology, for a key strategic defence asset, we kind of need to have this nailed down that we have sovereignty over it over those assets and over that technology. And that's going to be one of the big questions of the AUKUS agreement. But, of mm. course, we're all talking hypotheticals because none of us have seen the report, none of us have seen the agreement, uh, and we're all just basically trying to catch smoke, which mm. is pretty much what defence and security reporting is uh, about. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. The Prime Minister apparently did say that an unclassified copy of the review would be released prior to the May budget, so don't uh, get too excited. Uh, he, <clears throat> he also spoke at a time when the ASIO boss, Mike Burgess, was out and about, warning that in his annual threat assessment that Australia faces an, what he termed an unprecedented assault from foreign espionage. This is spies mm. intent on stealing sensitive information on behalf of authoritarian regimes. Well, no surprises who those regimes would be. He also said he'd been directly pressured by public servants, academics and business people to ease up his focus on foreign influence. That's a pretty damning accusation. Here are his comments on that. I'm concerned there are senior people in this country who appear to believe that espionage and foreign interference is no big deal. It's something that can be tolerated or somehow ignored or safely managed. Yes, did the Prime Minister have anything to say about this? He did. He said that, you know, the government supports the intelligent agencies and law enforcement agencies and they have their full backing, you know, whether it's at home or abroad, essentially. I also think that this this particular aspect is a little bit of a beat up. I know that quite a, a number of outlets have focused on this part of it. Mm. But I think what Mike Burgess was also saying was that, you know, he does get, you know, conversations from, you know, certain people who were just kind of like, well, how far are we going, you you know, with like with our sabers on this, does it always need to be so heavy-handed? Which makes sense when you consider, you know, the trade arrangements that we have with some of these regimes. Like China is our biggest trading partner, uh, and so we've we've seen what's happened when things get a little bit diplomatically unstable with China. The trade suffers, and so I think that some of the he didn't he didn't name any names. He didn't say what you know any of these conversations were about. But I think when you've got 
academics and business people and in some cases bureaucrats just sort of saying, do we need to be so gung-ho all of the time? There's other considerations there as well. doesn't necessarily mean ASIO is going to stop doing what it's doing, uh, but I think that if people are right to question, you know, when we come out very strongly about a particular regime or country or, you know, state actor or whatever, because we never actually get a lot of detail about what they're doing. We're just like, there was a security incident. Uh, we're not mm. pointing any fing- fingers, China. Um, and also, by the way, we can't give you any details about it, but just trust us, it was bad. Exactly, exactly. All right, look, uh, wages figures were out today too. Some people's pay packet might be a bit heavier. though. They were, well, the figures showed a 3.3% increase in wages since last year. This is according to the latest figures, although take out inflation and that's still a wage fall. The Prime Minister <clears throat> also talked about that at his press club lunch. This is the Prime Minister. The fastest rate of wages growth in a decade confirmed today. Good jobs and fair wages are fundamental to an economy that works for people, not the other way around. Yeah, well, they've got to be careful what they want to wish for here, don't they? Because wages go up, prices go up, and here we go. That's according to the Reserve Bank's theory of life anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Prime Minister sounded pretty happy about the rate of growth, even though, as I say, it's actually uh, a decline in real wages, isn't it? Yeah, it's the biggest declining decline in real wages pretty much on record, it's 4.5%. Everyone's mm. gone backwards. Yeah. So this idea that we're, you know, facing some sort of like 1970s risk of a price wage spiral is complete bubkis. And I don't know why the Reserve Bank keeps going on about it because it is not the reality. It, it's not happening. I mean, we've seen a, a, mod, a very slight increase. In the last quarter, it was 0.8%. That was mostly led from increases in the public service uh, and then the private sector is a little bit behind that. It has taken a 50-year low in unemployment. So for the unemployment rate to reach the lowest level it has in half a century for us to get the same year-on-year wage growth as we had 10 years ago in 2012. So we're not exactly coming from like a huge base either. We've had 10 years of no growth and now we're celebrating the fact that there's been a moderate increase in wages that takes us back to the point that we were 10 years ago. And meanwhile, the RBA is saying, oh, by the way, we need to be really worried about where wages are going. Well, they're going down. That's where they're going. If I go to the shops, I'm not buying the same amount of stuff that I could buy even a year ago because inflation is at 7.8%. So what exactly is the worry and why is it always on the workers to come up with this when you consider on this same day we have had massive profits announced by most Australian companies, particularly, you know, the banks and the big supermarkets who are all making a lot of money during this Mm. period of high inflation but we're the ones who have to pay for it. Yes, well, these are all questions, as I say, <laughs> the Reserve Bank might well care to address. Um, just before you go, superannuation too. Uh, we'll speak in a moment to Ian Verinder, the ABC's business editor, about the government's motivation on this. But the Treasurer has been out and about spruiking on radio stations around the country, uh, across all networks, uh, about his comments suggesting that change is afoot. Here he is on Narin Breakfast. Is because I do genuinely believe that governments of either political persuasion uh, should acknowledge the various costs and pressures on the budget at a time when we've got a lot of debt 
where we need to fund decent aged care and decent health care and decent national security. Uh, at a time like that, we need to acknowledge where some of these pressures lie. Uh, we haven't changed our view, we haven't taken any decisions, but we should be up for a national conversation about the future of uh, some of these concessions, which cost the budget a lot of money. I mean, didn't the government, didn't the, didn't the Labor Party say that they weren't going to change superannuation, that we're going to make any changes to superannuation before the election? They did, and now they're saying that you know we 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 weren't going to make any big changes, oh, and we're not going to. Make I don't any recall big the word changes. big. I don't recall the word big being as a qualifier <laughs> being in there at all. Changes, I know it's amazing how these qualifiers pop up, isn't it? Um, but to be fair, I don't think that there are any huge changes afoot, and I doubt that there are any changes afoot for any of uh, your listeners either, unless anyone has more than about three million dollars in their super account, because when you look at everything that the treasurer says and I am one of those sad people who has to do that that's my job to examine all of those words he's really zeroed in on people with multi-million dollar balances and if you look at it it's around that three million dollar figure so I think what we're going to see happen is the government cap concessions tax concessions for people who have more than three million dollars in their superannuation I'm not sure I fully understand all this though because if that's all the problem is, it's not much of a problem. And it's, I mean, okay, it's unfair and et cetera. And I think many people might think that that's okay. But it's not, mm-hmm. but it's not many people. In other words, no. is, he, is he actually, what he's actually doing here is laying the groundwork for a more wholesale taxing of super. Uh, I don't even necessarily think that it's just like it's super. I think this is raising issues about concessions in general and how much that is costing the budget in lost revenue. So we're all talking about super. And if we look at about the, you know, the it's it's like it's not even that. It's about 11,000 accounts that have more than 5 million. So, you know. Which is not. I mean, okay, it's really not a, a big problem, which should occupy much national attention. Is it? No, but what comes out in about a week is the tax expenditure statement, which is basically going to tell you how mm. much we spend or forego in revenue in tax concessions. And you're going to see a lot of really big numbers in there for capital gains and negative gearing, those sorts of, and franking credits, which are going to eclipse all the, of the superannuation all issues, credits. All, all issues which the government will do nothing about. Well, absolutely, but I think what they're hoping is that we are all going to get outraged at how much money is being spent on all of this and that maybe organically there will be a groundswell of support for to give them political cover to be able to do something. Mm. Yes. Unlikely. Well, <laughs> well I, they won't be doing anything about capital gains or franking credits, I can tell you that. <laughs> all right, Amy, It's uh, sometimes I think you must, and you must feel this acutely in Canberra, Things just go round and round. <laughs> oh, they do. The more they change, the more they stay the same. Amy, good to talk. Thank you. You too. Bye. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 